0: Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah in the mobile Kintec studio. We're here at the Fairmont Vancouver as uh, we are getting set for... The Dice and Ice Canucks event. Uh, first time since 2020 that this is uh, ongoing. And uh, you can be a part of the Dice and Ice Gala as well with the online auction and support of the Canucks for Kids Fun Bid on player baskets, signed memorabilia, unforgettable experiences, and much more. Visit Canucks.com slash auction to make your bids now we've got Ian McIntyre coming up in a few moments. Uh, Get in on the Vancouver Canucks coming off another loss and another game where they give up six goals. Uh,
1: yeah, and I mean it was fun. It was good. I I, I don't see any negativity from. I, there shouldn't be too much negativity from the game. I don't think. Like, w- what are people upset about? It was a ten-goal game. Yeah. Um, Artur Salavs made his debut. Uh, they made it interesting, and in the Canucks lost, and now have a bottom five record. Like what? What was bad about it? Is this uh, your Maximus Aurelius? Or are you? Are you not entertained? Exactly. Well, essentially. <laughs> but like, I saw some. I saw some consternation about this, and people, you know, bemoaning the game. And oh, here we go again. The goalie got lit up. It's like,
0: is that what you wanted? Mm-hmm. You want the losses? Don't you
1: want the losses? I saw Don't some, you want fun losses?
0: I did see some tank for Bedard signs at the game yesterday, and all oh, these yeah. different types of things. It, it is par for the course uh, at this time of year with where the Canucks are at in the standings. And look, from a strict entertainment standpoint, the Canucks have been giving you that. Oh yeah, um, I mean they've
1: been entertaining. Um, and they've been entertaining all year for good and bad purposes.
0: And, and you know, I've I've heard this a lot from listeners over the last couple of days, uh, especially as Rick Tockett is you know taking them back to school and really working on the fundamentals and practice and things like that. And. Uh, you'll you'll hear fans and and people on on Twitter asking me questions like what what's what's the point of this right like wh- what are they working towards you want to lose every game the tank is here at, at the same time again, a lot of players are still going to be on this roster for next year, and you want to see which of these players can get to play, you can get to play the style you'd like them to play. Right now, you're going through a lot of growing pains as you build up to that, though.
1: Yeah, and honestly, like, last night wasn't all that bad. Like, So it was a few critical mistakes, which led to goals. They created chances. They were in the game. Mm-hmm they were engaged they were never really you know too undisciplined with how they played just a lot of you know a few mistakes And yeah they're gonna have some issues they're not they're not a good hockey team they're a bad hockey team yeah bad hockey teams are gonna have <laughs> problems that's going to happen and that's kind of where they find themselves right and that's why last night's game like, I'm completely fine with how that game went and overall you are seeing some marginal improvements like really all, all it is is holding players accountable for doing the things you want want them to do this isn't anything to do with getting fooled by what you're seeing and thinking mm-hmm. maybe that uh, they got something here and and maybe they shouldn't be making a lot of changes to the roster. It's clear where their shortcomings are and that has to get fixed. But if you don't learn how to play the right way or you're not upholding those standards, well then it's going to get harder for you to turn things around. You can do all these things and lose at the yeah. same time. Like, you know, the Canucks maybe lose that game 5-4 mm-hmm. instead or an overtime, perhaps, if they don't make a couple mistakes. Maybe the Rangers push a bit more. It's a bit sleepy from their end. Maybe they felt like it was too easy or whatever, but I don't know if the Canucks win that game, even if they don't make mistakes.
0: Well, and I get it from a fan's perspective. Not only do you want to see a better hockey team in the future, but you're still anxious to see more changes, even beyond Bo Horvat, the captain, getting mm-hmm. moved out. There's a realization that even more has to happen. More surgery needs to happen in order to get this thing going in the right direction, but I'm going to borrow your phrase, Sat. Two things can be true at the same time. They have to do that, but they also have to set in a better foundation and get more of these players into the habits of a winning team. Mm And that's where the coach comes in and setting these new goals up in front of these players because a lot of them are still going to be here. A lot of them are big parts of the future, like Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes especially. And so you're still trying to get them to put their best foot forward into the future. Those... Like th- these are all the building blocks of a building, you know, of a team. It's not just NHL twenty three where you trade for a bunch of guys or get a couple of draft picks and all of a sudden you are building a Stanley Cup hockey team. There are more things than just collecting the extra assets and the cap flexibility that allow you to go out and make moves to get more talented players. Like they do have to set in a better culture in place as well. That that has to be a part of the equation.
1: Well, we're starting from the very basics of hockey. Yeah, line changes. Mm-hmm. Which position to be in. Yeah. I mean, these are the things we're talking about here, right? I mean, what, what does that tell you? It tells you there's a lot of work to do here. They're using the rest of this season to work on the basics. Let's get the basics right, and we'll start worrying about other things with this team. And there are a lot of other things to kind of worry about. They're but in
0: training camp right now, They are in
1: season training camp. Yeah. I and mean, we've heard the coach keep talking about process over results. And not that they've devalued winning, but they've definitely deprioritized winning.
0: hmm They've prioritized the process over the results, as uh, as Rick Tockett has talked about uh, a little bit over the last few days. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. He is the triple threat. It is Ian McIntyre. You find his great work at sportsnet.ca. You hear him here on radio, and you see him on Sportsnet television as well. What's happening, IMac?
2: Well, whenever uh, you say triple threat, I think I've told you this, before, because when I was Mm -hmm. a little kid, the triple threat was Andre Dawson, maybe a slightly later uh, representative of that would have been Larry Walker, both tremendous Montreal Expos. And I think of that because I see in the paper, baseball players are practicing in the sun (laughs) in Florida. Spring (laughs) training is on. How lucky are we that our winter, surely, despite this gray, bleak, chilly day here, is coming to an end because spring training has begun. So, were you an Expos fan then? Oh, huge Expos fan when I was oh, a wow. Kid. Yeah.
0: So, are yep. you like a Washington Nationals guy now, or no?
2: no? Oh God, no, <laughs> no. So, who's your favorite? I, I much, I pretty much hated baseball for a while for what for what Major yeah. League Baseball uh, did to Montreal and Canada and the Expos, and you know they clearly just didn't want a team in Quebec, and, uh, you know, Jerry rigged it, so eventually it would would end up elsewhere. I, I do remember, though, when I first became a columnist for the Vancouver Sun in 2005, uh, one of my great early assignments was I went uh, down to Arizona f- for when Steve Nash was going to receive his first MVP award, and, mm-hmm. and I did a big, uh, feature on Nash, and they they were also opening uh, a playoff series. Uh, the Phoenix Suns were against uh, the Dallas Mavericks, Nash's old team. So I so I hung around for that. And in one of the the days between games, the Washington Nationals were visiting Arizona, and this was the season after uh, the Montreal Expos. So the first the first uh, inaugural season of the Washington Nationals. And I went in there, and uh, it just didn't feel like the Expos, but I did find, I found a couple of guys who had played, were still, you know, on the team and had been in Montreal for more than a cup of coffee and talked to them about it. And they, they talked about Canada and Montreal and, and leaving, and it ended up being what I thought was a pretty nice pretty nice column. But no, the Washington Nationals are not my baseball team.
1: Oh. Wow. There's room on the Blue Jays bandwagon, as always.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know what? The Blue Jays are so fun to watch, but they're also so exasperating because, you know, there's, it, it feels like with the talent that they have and what they had last season, they should be farther ahead than where they, where they are. But I guess, you know, made the playoffs and then just uh, just had a dud of a series in, in, their, in the playoffs. But we'll see this year. They do have, they do have some fantastic players to watch.
0: So, um, uh, getting in on, on the Canucks and, and last night's game, they, they lose at six, four, they, uh, continue to... <laughs> uh,
2: I know you're sport... talking baseball, even though I, I really don't have uh, anything in my arsenal. <laughs> if you ask me any detailed question, I would not be able to answer it, but it feels like anything but hockey right now is good, but go yeah. ahead. Canucks.
0: All right. I, I will avoid the question about who the setup man should be for the Seattle Mariners this year. Okay? <laughs> um, but your latest at Sportsnet.ca uh, talks about the Canucks uh, continuing to have difficulties playing defense and even last night in front of their young netminder, Arthur Silovs. Uh, but as Sat and I were just kind of discussing, you know, this is, um, was it a little bit of what you want to see maybe as a fan right now? You get an entertaining hockey game, team falls just short against a really good team that's in town, and you're still fighting for that high draft pick.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, people, and I, I've also made this point before, the, the people who buy tickets and and actually go to games, you know, they're the the top tier of the fan base. This is, you know, the, the Canuck franchise, the brand is, is everywhere. And it's an incredibly diverse uh, fan base. And there's all kinds of outlets for it. And, you know, Twitter and social media is, is the most prominent one. But the most important one to the hockey team are the people who, who actually give them money uh, for tickets. And those people, they, they want to be entertained. They don't necessarily need to see a win at all costs, especially if it if to have a, a few more wins now means a lot fewer wins in the future because of something the club has done to get that. I, I, like I really don't think people are into the idea of a quick fix. But... Those who go to games, they don't want to see a team that's given up, and they don't want to see an organization that's given up. So in that respect, they just, you know, be entertained, see the team play hard, see the players give, you know, everything they can. And if they fall short, they fall short. But, they, you know, the fans have seen some goals. They have some memories. It was a good time, and they feel like the the players that they supported repaid them with effort. That's that's what they want to see. So in that respect, you know, that was a good game. And I, and I have to say that's, you know, that's why the games like the one against Detroit are so awful. Because it feels like uh, the team isn't giving. Well, we know they're not giving everything they can in, in games like those. And those are the ones that I think are really difficult uh, for fans. They can get behind a team, support a team that's losing a lot if they feel like there's at least progress being made, being planned. But they can only get behind that team as long as it's trying and, and doing everything they can every night to be competitive. And most nights this season, even a lot of the ones they've lost, you know, the Canucks have scored goals and tried hard. They just can't get out of their own way. They just make too many mistakes. But it's, it's, it's only in these handful of games, like the one uh, against Detroit, The other day where you can say well the guys you know didn't try that or or didn't try hard enough Uh, and so luckily those are still in the minority but it is it is disconcerting that they've they've happened you know more than just two or three times this year but for the most part this is a team as Bruce Boudreau said right until the end these guys care and they try hard
1: yeah, I mean, what's very clear is how much work this roster needs in order to become a good hockey team. And there's a reason to find themselves in the bottom five. And yeah, injuries haven't helped. And well, we've seen them trade Bull Horvat away, but it's clear this team needs a lot of improvements. And I guess the big question is, is how long is it is going is to take for that to happen? Because as much as... We've seen some action at the trade deadline. I was joking uh, with a friend earlier today that the third biggest move in the National Hockey League this season has been Jacob Chikrin getting healthy scratched. So I'm not, I'm not really <laughs> holding my breath on yeah. you know, more major moves kind of happening here. So as much as we're sitting here and talking about this roster needs turnover, like Dan was mentioning a bit earlier, a lot of these guys are going to be back next season, whether the team likes it or not.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's true. I mean, the, for context... There have been 12 NHL trades since the season began, and the Canucks have been involved in four of them. Mm -hmm. And so that's how difficult, uh, how static the NHL is right now with the salary cap and and player movement. So I I think people should temper their expectations about what may occur between now and March 3rd. I think there will definitely be movement over the summer, and there will be some new players, but the incredibly important aspect when you're, when you're asking how long is this going to take, an incredibly important aspect of that is finding out about the players that they have here already, how many of them can actually play and adapt to the style that Tockett, who is in alignment with Patrick Alvine, the GM, the style that he says this team has to play for it to, to have any chance to be mm-hmm. successful. Now, if the players who are already here can, for the most part, adapt and embrace that and start to build this culture, and I hate to use the C word every time I'm on, but start to build this culture of, of, of expectation and standard, like base expectations for how the team, how everybody needs to play and for the level of commitment that it's going to take to... to Uh, adapting your game to something that's going to be a a hell of a lot more successful than what we've seen the last two and a half years now, two and a half seasons now. That goes a long way in determining how long is this going to take? Because it's one thing if you need, let's say four players, let's say you need, you know, two or three defensemen and another forward or two uh, to be, you know, a, a competitive team—that's one thing if it's four players. But if it's if it's ten players, or if it's fourteen players, because the the guys who are here that we think are good NHL players can't adapt and and can't, uh, you know, change their their culture or build a new identity, then then the work uh, just becomes mammoth, and you're talking about. You're talking about several seasons. But if the players here can adapt, and all you need, and I make it sound like it's a simple thing to get three defensemen and another forward, <laughs> but if that's—if you're looking for four, well, you can try to do that in a lot less time than if you're looking for 14.
0: Uh, Ian McIntyre, our guest. I heard you on the post-game show last night. Um what are you doing you bu- up so late? I'm always <laughs> up late. I'm at kind of Um have you built out your rick Tocket glossary yet?
2: Uh no, but sometime no. I'll do that. I'll actually write down <laughs> write down the phrases because well, I think there's at least 10.
0: Yeah, there's like the wall guys, the inside guys, value plays, uh flex out we heard today uh in in his in his latest availability. Yeah, I love that. It, it's um it's a, it's a lot of hockey terminology and it it's nice it, it, I think we get this a lot when a new coach comes in you know they start speaking a different way, they view the game a different way they have maybe a different level of candidness they also just got in the job, so you know they they're pretty comfortable the, the seat is not yet hot and yep. uh, they're 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 open and honest um but you know in in your time like what's your first impressions of Tockett as he's as he's taken over here?
2: Well, I, I, as a matter of fact, I just said to one of our colleagues today at, at the, after the uh, uh, media scrum, the talk at availability at UBC, that I was, I was really expecting to miss Bruce Boudreau because he was so delightful on a daily basis to deal with because he was, so, he was unvarnished and, and just so honest. And obviously, came with a sense of humor and could be self-deprecating. He was, he was everything you would want if it was uh, a buddy to go have beers with. And yet, he was a coach. And I was really afraid I would miss that as a journalist. But Talkett, although he's obviously very different personality, very different kind of guy than than what Boudreaux is, has also been incredibly fascinating and interesting to deal with on a daily basis. Because he also is just straightforward, honest. And he, he doesn't have any allegiance to a certain player or a group of players. He's not worried about coddling anybody mm-hmm. or, or managing egos. He just wants to build a, a better hockey team than what we've seen. And in explaining how he wants to do that, he's been absolutely uh, honest and interesting in, in trying to express, you know, his vision and where he sees, where he sees the shortfall. So I think, I think that is excellent. I think, you know, on the ice, even though everything feels horrible, they've actually been much better at five on five. And I honestly don't know how bad they've been because the goaltending and the penalty killing has been so atrocious it, all, it, it, it makes it hard to judge anything else. Like Canuck goaltending, and I know this is a whole other issue, and, and I fully understand shot quality as, as a huge factor in this. And you look at two of the goals that Silov's let in last night, where it's basically open net cap in and semi-open net one-timer at the back mm-hmm. post. You know, no goalies, well, some goalies will save that, but you can't expect... Goalies to save that, so I fully understand. There's there's shot quality involved, but the Canucks' team save percentage since Tockit took over, I believe, is eight twenty six. Eight twenty six. Yeah. <laughs> like it, if anyone was eight twenty six for two months, they'd be out of pro hockey, not only <laughs> you know out of the NHL, and and as an example, the only team worse than Vancouver, the only team that surrendered more goals this year is the Anaheim Ducks. And their three goalies are all eight nine something. They're all eighty nine point something save percentage. And the Canucks the last three weeks have been eight twenty six and are, you know, down at I think eight seventy for the season. So they're just they're just not getting enough saves for me to know like really how bad the team is. Is it as yeah. horrendous as it looks? Because if you look at some of the other shot metrics, and I know, Sat, you have, the, it, the, the turnaround or the improvement in the five-on-five play, the number of shots they surrender, the, the, the share of, of shots that the Canucks are, are generating, the share of expected goals, all these things are, are up significantly yeah. under Tockett than they were under Bruce Boudreau, yet their net is still filled with pucks nightly and it's a little bit hard to figure that out.
1: Well, and, and, you know, you you nail it, right? Because I think some of the metrics, if you look at, you know, some of the raw totals, they tell you it's very good, like top five and everything. If you start looking a bit closer and look at it from, say, okay, within one when it's a close game, because we've seen some blowouts and, you know, the game, there's some score effects in that regard. But even based on within one, these past nine games, with Rick Tockett as a coach, the Canucks have been in the top half of the league. They're anywhere from 10th to 13th. In the critical metrics, in terms of shot suppression, goals against, go- goals created, it's not amazing, but it's still in the top half of the league. And to your point, I think the reason they made the the choice to have Silovs play the other night, not because you know this was part of the plan, but to your point, the goaltending has been so bad that organizationally they felt they just had to do something for that that game.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's also uh, I, I do think they wanted to reward Silovs, but you know, for and give him a game so he could see what it's like, in the same way that they gave Thatcher Demko a game in his last season uh, before he, his last full season in the minor, Thatcher Demko got the one game. And so it was the same with Silovs, and yet Silovs is, is still here today, which is interesting, and so was Thatcher Demko leaving the ice from full practice after 20 minutes. That was interesting, although Boudreaux, you guys have probably played some audio that uh, you know said if it was something serious, the trainers would have told him. So he doesn't think that it's anything serious or anything at all with Demko. So we'll see. We'll see whether he's Demko's actually backing up on on Saturday. But the 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 way I look at the goaltending right now is it, it feels like just on percentages they're they're a a goal behind the other team when the game starts with their goaltending, and because they're penalty killing has just been historically inept at the same time their power play now i mean the power play's gotten a few goals lately, but the power play is not what it was in the first couple of months of of the season in fact, up until about a week ago uh, since de- since december you know the their, their power play was one of the worst in the NHL mm-hmm. a- and people are find that hard to believe but if if you if you check the segments, they they've been, they were cold for a while. So, that's my long winded way of saying, which you guys may have noticed is my way of saying most things, but they're, <laughs> they're, they're also a goal down every game on special teams. Yeah. So, if you're starting every game on the premise that you're two goals behind because you're goaltending in your special teams, well, how many games should you actually expect to win in that case? Mm-hmm. So, they they need to get a lot of things. In order, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff happening around the team right now. You know, but the systems play, the culture, the the new people who they've brought in, not just talk it, but Gonchar and Adam Foot are out there today. But they've got to fix the special teams, and they've got to get more saves.
1: Uh, IMac, you're always the best. Uh, one thing before oh. I let you go, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Reach. All right, All but right. uh, you were at UBC today, right? Yeah. Yeah, I Ian, was. and, and uh, one of our listeners met you there. Chris, the lost UBC student, texts in and says, tell Ian, I say thank you for showing me the, where the Canucks were practicing today <laughs> at UBC, at to follow him around the arena to find the rink that we're skating on. That's Chris, who you met uh, today and he helped us. So he's saying well, thank you.
2: Well, you're welcome, Chris. Yeah, Chris was sitting alone staring at an empty rink, and I didn't know which rink the Canucks were on, <laughs> but I told him I, it probably isn't that one. He said, can I follow you? And I said, absolutely. Let's go. So we went over to the the main rink, and, and that's where they were. And, you know, Chris got to see a practice. A lot of guys were there to see practice. Stu- uh, students who are hockey fans, knowing that the Canucks were on site, I think some skipped a class today. to, to the, practice. Uh,
0: the quadruple threat, Ian McIntyre, also <laughs>
2: a good Samaritan,
0: uh, on Tour top guide. of his many duties around Sportsnet. <laughs> yeah. So, Thanks for on. this. There was, was
2: nothing, but that was nice of Chris to write in and say that.
0: Thanks for this, IMac. See you guys. Uh, there is Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet's uh, triple threat, sometimes quadruple threat. Yeah, and you know what? On the other side,
1: yeah, we'll delve into some of some of the numbers we kind of talked about, and mm-hmm. you know, obviously there's more to get to as well. But to Ian's point, and I, I've seen some pushback on, hey, the Canucks' metrics over these nine games under. Um, talk it and you know there are a lot of score effects in play let's remove the score effects take a look at it and i think it does paint a certain picture about what's going on
0: Uh, we'll get into that also a uh, poll from players and executives ranked the top 10 defensemen in the league quinn hughes was nowhere to be found do we agree or disagree that's coming up as well on canuck central